You are listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a show covering the hometown Milwaukee Brewers as we analyze the roster, report on the latest rumors, and discuss their quest to bring the World Series trophy to Milwaukee for the first time. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Go. Welcome, Brewers fans. This is the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter. Happy to get into today's episode. I've got David along here with me. Great week for the Brewers. Brewers capping off. Um, hopefully, will be another series win. We're recording this Sunday here before the Brewers Sunday night baseball game against Philadelphia. Uh, but so far, Brewers have looked really good this week, David. Uh, of course, sweeping the Pirates and splitting the first two games of the Philly series. Before we get into it too much, any any thoughts that you've had on, on the Brewers' performance this week? Yeah, I'm glad to see them take care of the Pirates. Uh, you never want to to uh, drop a series this early. Not going to be like a extremely consequential, but at the same time, um, after a little bit of a rocky start, glad to see the Brewers kind of turn things around against even a weak Pittsburgh team, but still, um, still able to sweep that series and then able to make that comeback against Philadelphia Saturday night. Uh, definitely a good win to see, especially with the offense coming alive later in the game. Yeah, like you said, of course, it is the Pirates, but no guarantees. And, and sweeping any team in baseball isn't necessarily an easy feat. Brewers now find themselves at 9-6 and six in the standings. Again, we're recording this before Sunday's game against Philadelphia. Uh, Brewers just a half game back from the Cardinals and could be tied at the end of today if they do take care of the Phillies and win that series uh, on the road. But uh, before we jump in further on this week, um, David, uh, today's trivia question. In light of Miguel Cabrera reaching his 3,000th hit this past week, out of the 33 players uh, that have amassed 3,000 hits, how many of those 3,000 hits or hits that gave them uh, that 3,000 mark were home runs? So as always, answer that trivia question. We'll be at the end of the podcast. David, I think we had one other uh, roster note before we jumped into our topic today. You had mentioned before where you recorded the Brewers have been rather quiet so far this year in moves, which overall is a good thing. We haven't had any um, injuries uh, besides, of course, Luis Rias, which I think you had something to share on. Yeah, Rias is starting a rehab assignment down at AA Biloxi. Council seemed to indicate that it'll be a longer rehab assignment for him. He, I think, only played in one game in spring training before he got hurt. So it'll kind of serve as his spring training in addition to, to a rehab assignment, uh, uh, kind of explaining why the rehab assignment will be a little bit longer. So hopefully we can see him in about a week and a half to maybe two weeks. I think that's kind of the reasonable timetable on Luis Urias' return to the Brewers lineup. Yeah, as, as much as spring training sometimes can be discounted, there's also some value in that. And, you know, with limited limited time uh, on the field for Urias, I think it is good to make sure that he doesn't come up too early. You'd hate to see him come up and, and get off such a cold start while he gains his footing. So hopefully he's able to gain some footing, get his swing back, obviously get his leg back in order, and just continue to get some confidence. I think the Brewers have pretty high hopes for him this year to be a, a really solid third base for the Brewers, an everyday guy. So he'll be certainly uh, influential to the Brewers roster and what the lineup looks like. But I think there's no reason to rush him back this early in the season, especially in a season where the Brewers expect to be in the postseason. I want to make sure that they're also being smart with their players making sure everybody stays healthy as best as possible this year. So again, last episode, uh, we were talking about some of the Brewers' struggles and and probably hampering expectations down, or more so hampering, I should say, um, hampering concerns around 
uh, the Brewers' performance in such a short part of the season, which has seemed to, to pull true after this week's performance. Uh, David, I know it's still early, but there's certainly some stats that are better than other uh, stats to look at uh, when it comes down to evaluating players' performances this far. Are there any meaningful stats that we could be taking away um, some analysis from even as early as April? There are some, yeah. They're, uh, they're not usually the conventional stats. You're not going to see chase rate or barrel percentage on the scoreboard. Um, and you, you are going to see batting average or uh, OPS, which those ones actually won't normalize for quite a while, uh, if not even maybe towards the end of the year. Uh, but, but a couple of the ones that will normalize, we can start with the hitters. Uh, barrel percentage is one I just alluded to it, as well as chase rate. Um, hard hit rate also can, uh, and I'll kind of explain what they are a little bit. Barrel percentage is the percent of the times that you hit the ball that it results in what you call a barrel. So hitting it on the barrel, uh, but hitting it uh, 95 plus miles an hour and with a launch angle that is essentially a line drive or a good fly ball. So if you hit the ball into the ground, it's not considered a barrel even if you hit it 110 miles an hour because that's not really the desired outcome, even though there's a decent chance you might hit a single on it. Uh, so barrel percentage, then the next one, chase rate. Chase rate, uh, meaning the percentage of pitches that you chase outside the zone, which is an indicator of how well you're seeing the ball, but actually really holds true um, in, uh, in longer sample sizes. If you, if you take the smaller sample size and expound on it uh, to the larger sample size, hard hit rate, the third one that I had mentioned, just the percentage of times that you hit the ball hard. So basically barrel, but doesn't matter where you hit it, what launch angle you have. So looking at the barrel percentage, we've got a couple guys that have been pretty good. A couple guys kind of stand out to me. A couple power hitters. Rowdy Telez has been really good in his barrel percentage. 17% up by 5.5% from what his mark was last year in his career high of 13% back in 2019. Um, even though his average exit velocity has fallen a little bit, that's not really something that um, is, is something to make out of a lot because that includes like if he has a couple tappers, that's going um, to sway it significantly towards, I mean, like if you average out 10 miles an hour with 110, uh, the average will be 60 um, and then outs and out. But barrel percentage is one that does not count if, it's, if you didn't hit it well. You didn't hit it well. Um, and Rowdy has, has come out really well on that so far. Uh, even you looked at his expected numbers, expected slugging, 692. Uh, now he is unlikely to slug that over the course of the year. Uh, but his early season percentage of barrels is at least an encouraging sign that he could perhaps be a little bit better than he was even last year in his time with the Brewers. Hunter Renfro, another power hitter for the Brewers, one that they brought in this year, and his barrel percentage is up a little bit over Rowdy's at 17.5%, which is 3% over last year, which was already his career high. Uh, he's somebody that kind of got off to a slow start, but lately has picked it up a little bit. Strikeout rate is still a little bit on the high side, but the Brewers can, can take the hit with the strikeouts a little bit if Hunter Renfro is still hitting the ball hard and hitting the ball hard in the air uh, like he has done so far this year. Um, one of the guys that's been encouraging as far as the hard hit rate has been Christian Yelich. The only thing with Yelich is that almost all of his hard hit balls have been on the ground. So the hope is that Yelich will be able to elevate the ball a little bit more, 
His ground ball rate is actually similar to what it was in his MVP year back in 2018. Um, but but the, the, the balls that he was hitting on the ground in 18 were more of his softer hit balls and the line drives and the fly balls were the hard hit ones, whereas it's kind of reversed right now. So the hope is that that will switch and he'll kind of go back to where he was before uh, a couple of years ago when he was hitting the ball on the ground as often, but harder when it was in the air. I think it is still good news to hear for Brewers fans to hear that Yelich, of course, is hitting the ball hard. I mean, that's perhaps the more difficult of the two when it comes down to hitting fly balls, line drives, as opposed to ground balls. It, it at least is a start to see him barreling up more balls, even if it is ground balls right now. I think it's easier to make an adjustment to hitting line drives and fly balls than it might be if he just wasn't hitting the ball hard in the first place. So again, I, I guess you could look at it in two different ways, but I think overall it's a net positive um, to hear that he is hitting the ball hard. And really at the end of the day, that's probably the most important thing. And then second is what kind of launch angle he's having. And that may be a little bit easier to to make an adjustment to than purely just hitting the ball hard. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and there, there still will be some adjustments to be made. And uh, perhaps it's just kind of a coincidence. Uh, the ground ball rate versus fly ball rate don't uh, equalize or normalize quite this early on in the season. So, of course, the hope is that Yelich will turn the corner and be a little bit better, but he is hitting the ball hard and more consistently. Yeah, absolutely. And and overall, this past week, we saw relatively good performances across the board from the Brewers starting pitching and bullpen as well. Uh, any signs that we can see or early trends for either the Brewers rotation or bullpen? At this point? Yeah, Eric Lauer, I had mentioned him a little bit last week. He increased his fastball velocity by about a mile and a half per hour, at least so far uh, in this in this young season. And that's an encouraging sign uh, because, I mean, the, the harder you throw, generally the better results you're going to get. Uh, and so him him being able to throw the ball harder, uh, not only with his four-seam fastball, but also with his cutter, uh, that's going to be able to hopefully produce a little bit better results from a pitcher that was already fairly productive last year, Aaron Ashby. I talked about his better movement on his sinker and changeup. His sinker's already been um, very good, even better than last year, grading out as far as the stat cast metrics go. One guy is, that's a little bit concerning. I know we had a good week from Devin Williams, or, or better week, I should say, at least. Uh, but so far this year, uh, his fastball velocity is down by about a mile and a half per hour, uh, which is a, a little bit concerning. I know he had to pitch back-to-back -back once or twice, but even aside from those outings, he's been considerably down in his velo. But what's behind that, we don't really know. Uh, could be that it took longer for his hand to heal in the offseason. Could be that he had uh, different different uh, goals coming in. Uh, whatever, it could be a number of issues, but hopefully we're able to see that velo come back because uh, it's not like he can't be effective throwing only 94 miles an hour but he's definitely a better pitcher when he's throwing 95-96. Yeah, absolutely. And it obviously helps set up his changeup a lot better when he's able to have that extra additional velo that we saw in the week that he struggled. Um, not only Cardinals players able to lay off the changeup, but also not having too much trouble catching up to the fastball, which then gave them a better chance to, to spit on the changeup as well. So overall, it was good to see at least the numbers and performance that we saw this week from him. We'll see um, if he's able to continue that forward. Hopefully he is uh, certainly um, next man up, Josh Hader, 
uh, has been outstanding. Already seven saves for Josh Hader in this early season. He's gone seven innings, 10 strikeouts, 0.57 whip, and a zero ERA. So yet to allow an earned run this year. He's been virtually perfect so far, which is really what we've come to expect from him. I, I think anytime I see Josh Hader give up a run um, or even a blow and save, which is very rare, it, it, I really do at this point um, um, figure that it's automatic, that the game's over, that it's, it's already done. So he's, I know we've had the debate. I don't need to bring it up again about him pitching an inning only as a closer, but it certainly has, has served the Brewers well last year. Um, and already in this early season, like I said, seven saves in seven virtually perfect innings from Hader um, this year. Again, just wanted a couple to, to mention a couple players as well. You mentioned Devin Williams, um, Hunter Renfro also starting to swing the bat a little bit better. Um, saw some good games from him in Philadelphia, a couple home runs. Um, and Adrian Hauser also uh, seems to be starting to pick things up as well. He obviously didn't have the run support in his first couple starts, um, but got the Brewers. Um, I think that in that five, five run inning, uh, capped by Hunter Renfro, if I'm recalling correctly, maybe it wasn't all in one inning, um, but five straight runs, that's, I think is what I'm remembering. Um, but Hauser um, settled in to that game, L looked really good in the fourth and fifth inning as well. We'll see if he's able to, to bounce back on that or continue to um, have success like that, going six innings, three runs, five hits. Um, if he can do that, Bruce, for the most part, should be happy. Um, so I think Adrian Hauser will hopefully to continue to have the same success that he's had. So, David, any other um, just things that you've seen from the Brewers this week, observations, analysis, underlying stats, anything else that you've seen um, out of the Brewers thus far in just this short season? I mean, one thing to note is that uh, the Brewers could, like the stats could change a little bit with them. Uh, they've, they've faced some pretty weak competition so far. Uh, so we could see a little bit of maybe a, a change in, uh, in the numbers. Uh, another thing is that offense has been down across all of baseball. I mean, the Brewers are average in the NL in team ERA right now at 3.5. So it's possible that MLB could try to make some in-season alterations to improve the offense. I wouldn't be in favor of that doing that in-season. But it also is something that, uh, I mean, especially the home run rate is down. And with the inconsistency of the baseball across Major League Baseball the last couple of years, uh, that's been kind of a, a hot topic of debate. And it seems like they're going with the ball that's a little bit less lively, not knowing what baseball they're using. I don't even think the players know is, I think, a little bit of a problem uh, for, for MLB that they have. But, uh, but that does that could perhaps um, change the stats. So if we were maybe expecting a 30-year home run, excuse me, a 30-home run season out of Hunter Renfro, maybe we only get 20, 22. But that kind of means more because offensive numbers are down across MLB. Yeah, it is. It is spread across all of baseball. I, I agree. I hope they don't mess with the game in season. I'm not a fan of them doing it at all as far as switching baseballs out or anything like that, um, at least without being completely upfront and honest to both the players and the fans. But midseason, I, I think, would just be completely unfair to both hitters and pitchers um, to throw in variables like that. Um, but you mentioned the Brewers not playing the best competition. Of course, they had three against Pittsburgh. Just means that, obviously, the Brewers need to try to take care of business here, hopefully build up a lead. Looking ahead, to at their schedule. Um, they will have some easy opponents as well before uh, making a – or yeah, before making another um, three-game set against Pittsburgh. They do have a one-game 
against the Giants uh, on Monday. That's part of the makeup from games that were canceled as a result of the delayed start to this season. But Brewers getting three against Pittsburgh next week, as well as three against the Cubs, followed up by uh, the Reds. Brief three-game series with the Braves and then back to the Reds and then Marlins. So really the next couple of weeks, the Brewers have a, a relatively easy schedule, all things considered. So you'd hope by middle of May to late May, the Brewers see themselves with a decent lead in the Central, knowing that they're going to have some some higher competition later on in the year. They don't even um, play the Cardinals again until late May, some other month before they're able to play them. So again, I think it's just important the Brewers continue to build up. Hopefully, uh, well, first get to the top of the Central and then build up a lead um, there. So uh, I think that kind of closes off uh, our analysis on, on the week that we've seen from the Brewers. Like we said, uh, recording this here Sunday, we'll see how the Brewers perform on Sunday Night Baseball in that game three of the Phillies. Um, but before we go, we had a couple of, uh, I don't know, just fun facts, five things you didn't know about the Brewers, a fun stint that we've got here, a couple of facts that perhaps even you true diehard fans didn't know. I'll go first here with number one. Um, this one being about uh, Milwaukee favorite Bud Selig. We talked about this a little bit in our history of the Brewers over the offseason, but Bud Selig bought just 4% of the $10.8 million for the team when they moved to Milwaukee and is the only person ever in Major League Baseball to go from owner to commissioner. So interesting, um, kind of that transition from an owner to a commissioner, not something that we've ever seen. Um, not sure that we really will see that again in the future. It seems like a not a very natural leap to go that way. Um, and I find it interesting, too, that Steely was just a 4% owner of the Brewers. Uh, of course, he was the most, uh, I guess, forward-looking um, or, you know, he was the one kind of paving the way or the 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 person, the face of the ownership group, I should say, um, and really only ended up putting about $430,000 up for his purchase. Uh, I would say that probably paid off pretty well for him. Uh, also, obviously, he launched his career in Major League Baseball, eventually becoming the commissioner um, and making really a, a large footprint uh, on Milwaukee and the Brewers, but even more than that, Major League Baseball as well. Yeah, I think Bud Selig actually, add this to the uh, thing you didn't know about the Brewers, but I think Bud Selig actually has the highest net worth of any person that, that has essentially made his living in baseball. I mean, of course, their owner, Steve Cohen, his net worth is like $30 billion, but I mean, he didn't make his fortune in baseball. Bud Selig had a little bit, but I mean, he a used car dealership or a couple of them isn't gonna um, isn't gonna push your net worth up there. I think his net worth now is upwards of half a billion dollars, and really almost all of that coming from from Major League Baseball. Then once each each uh, each separate owner, as part of the ownership group, they'd sell the team, and Selig was paid to be the CEO of the team or the the president. So See, uh, Selig would would buy out each member as they decide to sell until he had, I think, about ninety percent of the team in the late nineties. Number two is another Milwaukee icon, uh, Bob Euchre. He's one of just three active broadcasters with at least fifty consecutive years with their team. Jaime Harin of the Dodgers and Denny Matthews of the Royals. Jaime Harin is actually retiring at the end of this year after I think like sixty-two years with the team. Uh, and Euchre, I mean, who knows? I mean, we've been speculating about his retirement for 10 years, something like that. So we don't really know how, how long Euchre will have, but he's 87, 88 now, something like that. And uh, so, of course, every year that we get to hear Bob Euchre on the radio, always great to have him 
uh, with uh, in the in the Brewers broadcast booth, and hopefully um, he has more than that. We'll see if he gets a number retired, kind of like Sealy got number one retired for the team. Yeah, I, I would hope so. I, I don't I don't care what number that is. If they want to retire 99, 86, 50, I, I don't really care. But it, it should. I think it, I think it would be fitting, especially. Uh, not to bring up the debate, but uh, then again, Raleigh Finger's number is retired as well. So uh, won the MVP with the Brewers, but his number is retired. So like we talk about Raleigh Finger's number being retired like every other episode. <laughs> we have to because it's just it's an unfair injustice to well, uh, maybe to Jeff Jenkins and the rest of the Brewers franchise. Maybe what they could do is say like, well, Bob Uecker spent 34 years doing something. So we'll we create a dual retirement now for both Raleigh Fingers and Bob Euchre, and then we won't have to waste the number 34 on Raleigh Fingers. Because also, the number 34 is a good baseball number, too. Like, it's one of the best baseball numbers, and we can't use it because of Raleigh Fingers, who, of course, exactly. had an extremely decorated career, but only a few of those years in Milwaukee. Maybe his right. best was, a, was with the Brewers, but, I mean, I guess it, it'd be kind of like Christian Yelich leaving the Brewers right now and the Brewers retiring his number. Maybe that's a comparison. Yeah. Which yeah, definitely seems like a stretch. And yeah. Anyways, I'll get off. I'll get off that. So uh, it is interesting though, that you mentioned Jaime Harin and Denny Matthews. I actually don't know the names off the top of my head. I had to do some research. You, you mentioned Jaime Harin retiring this year, 64 year career with the Dodgers uh, as their Spanish announcer pretty crazy when you think about him and of course Vin Scully who's retired a couple of years back now um feels like just last year but both of those announcers with the Dodgers for over 50 years um so pretty incredible um those names there so moving on to number three Milwaukee is the only city with two American and two National League teams including of course the current Brewers for each yeah this one is is kind of interesting uh, the American League was actually founded in Milwaukee, uh, near downtown at, I think it was called the Republican Hotel, uh, which has been demolished by now. But I, I think that the plan all along was to only have Milwaukee have a franchise for a year in the American League, um, although I'm not 100% sure. We talked about the franchise a little bit last year with our, or last week with our random player of the days. Uh, but they ha- they were there for a year, and then they moved to St. Louis and then became the uh, Baltimore Orioles. And then, of course, we had the Milwaukee Braves in the National League. And then the American League Brewers from, what, 1970 to 97? And then the National League now. And, yeah, it's the only – I mean, you think about, like, New York. New York has had the Yankees, but the Yankees have been the only American League team in New York ever – uh, which is kind of surprising with the number of teams that they've had. Yeah, it is. Uh, Milwaukee, is, I wonder if it's because Milwaukee is kind of the fringe city where they could have teams, they could not have a team. And so they they kept getting teams and then were a natural city to potentially expand. And then it worked, it didn't work. I wonder if that played into it at all. At all. Yeah, potentially. And of course, yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the couple New York teams did leave, but they're not going to like rotate through teams maybe quite as much as, the Brewers have. Uh, the fourth one is a, a much different note, talking about the racing sausages. Uh, I feel like the racing sausages are more synonymous with the Brewers than, like, any of the players. Like, ask the average person in the country, and they know more about the racing sausages than they do about 
Ryan Braun or Christian Yelich or something. But the racing sausages actually have names. So we just talk, call them the, the Bratwurst, the, the Polish, or if you're at the ballpark, the Johnsonville Brat, the Johnsonville Polish, the Johnsonville Italian, as they uh, announce them all with their, uh, their newly minted sponsorship from Johnsonville. But their names actually are Brett the Bratwurst, Stosh the Polish, Guido the Italian, Frankie Furter the Hot Dog, and Cinco the Chorizo. And fun fact, uh, Chorizo is actually the hardest one to race in because of the hat. I don't know if Chorizo <laughs> actually, it, like, I don't know if his stats are the worst out of all of them, but I've just heard that people who have raced in, in multiple of them, that the Chorizo is the hardest because you almost have to, like, balance the hat because the hat is so big and clunky uh, in the costume. It's not as aerodynamic. You got a little bit more wind drag, I think, running that with that thing. Yeah. Well, and you got the flopping um italian chef's hat uh on True. that one too uh, although that one i guess i haven't heard any complaints about racing in the italian sausage costume so uh i don't know i never knew until i was doing some research before uh, that they had names but um i would say that cinco is kind of a boring name for the chorizo i feel like they could have done yeah, they- better than that yeah, the, the, whoever whoever uh, came up with the first four names must have retired by the time that uh, Chorizo came around, and they just you know, settled on an easy one there. But they like it's like a little bit of a cop out. Yeah, Doug Melvin. Oh, why don't we name him Cinco? That's why he was the best. That's why he was the GM. Mm-hmm. Exactly. After well, he traded we'll for CC Sabathia. Yes, yes, Sabathia. Well, we'll stay on the mascots. Note here, uh, our final fun fact of the day. Brewers have the most mascots in the league. This could have been actually a trivia question um, for you. I will pause and let you think. So how many how many mascots do you think the Brewers have? I'm willing to bet you probably are not aware of all of them. Um, that's because the correct answer is eight. The Brewers have eight mascots. We just mentioned, of course, the five racing sausages, which makes up five mascots. You've got, of course, the Brewers' primary mascot, Bernie Brewer. Barrel Man, and then finally Hank, the ballpark pup. That also doesn't include Bonnie Brewer, who we uh, every once in a while get to see. I know it's not technically an official mascot anymore, uh, but Brewers have no shortage of mascots uh, currently and in in their franchise history. I guess it's something they're good at. Well, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the only way to entertain fans for like two decades when the Brewers didn't win any games. It was just like (laughs) throw more mascots out there. Um, One of my questions is – is Bonnie Brewer Bernie Brewer's wife or mom? Because she, like, comes at Mother's Day, but I always thought that Bonnie Brewer was his wife. I, I always did, too, at first, but I, I believe it's his mom. Um, I, I think that is – I think that's the case, um, but I haven't – I don't have the family tree down completely, but my assumption would be that that would be his mom. I don't, I don't remember – I know Bonnie Brewer it came about, I want to say, in the 70s or 80s. Um, yeah, as, a, as a 70s I think yeah yeah and I, I could just picture her pictures of her running out and like sweeping the bases and I don't even know like you said a couple decades where the Brewers had to just uh just make some form of entertainment out of a, a poor performing baseball team I guess that's the result of it um Brewers they probably do have the most interesting certainly of course the racing sausages are something that's unique to the Brewers but they do probably have the best mascots in the league. Bernie Brewer is a pretty solid mascot. Barrel Man um, is, is a pretty cool one. He's in his ninth decade, actually, as a mascot. So we talked about uh, Euchre's tenure, but Barrel Man's got him beat um, by several decades. 
um, as a mascot. So enough, yeah. enough uh, nonsense. His, he has a name too, August, the barrel man. August. Oh, I don't know. Is that a German name? I guess. My assumption would be that it is. Uh, I have not not heard of that one before. Well, when I look up the name August, beer barrel man comes up. So I guess he may be he's the only one with the uh, the actual name of August. But I, am, I I do like I do like the barrel man. I would say that he. I actually feel like he's almost. I mean, he doesn't have like the charisma that they attribute to Bernie Brewer, but I feel like he's a more interesting mascot, kind of like it fits in with the team rather than this random blonde mustached person, I guess. <laughs> I didn't think about it there for a second, I guess. I guess we got no other being. Yes, I, I would assume that is a, a person. <laughs> Who else has a person breaking mascot? Down the, Swinging Friar, I guess, in San Diego. Yep. I mean, the, Bernie Brewer is better than Swinging Friar. <laughs> if I saw a Swinging Friar in person, I'd probably just run away. Like this creepy <laughs> priest holding a baseball bat. <laughs> but all I, right. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing. Uh, it's always a good a good episode to end on Brewers racing sausages and and August the Barrel Man, who we all learned is his official name. Um, so there, there you have it. Some interesting tidbits and anecdotes from the Brewers' history of probably, or maybe not, I'll, I'll probably remove the probably, the best mascots in franchise history and, and compare it to probably any out there. Maybe you want to say Philadelphia, of course, uh, the Philly fanatic. But uh, as far as a roster of mascots, I think the Brewers are, are the well, best. They're the only one who has a roster of mascots. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So there you have it. The Brewers, number one at something in baseball, the best uh, roster of mascots. So anyways, we'll we'll continue on to the, the final final part of our podcast, our random player of the day, who is actually a current player. Um, David, you were mentioning before to me that he is actually tied for the lead with Josh Hader uh, as 2022 baseball will reference wins above replacement. Um, and that is Brad Boxberger. So what can you tell us about Brad Boxberger? Yeah, well, his uh, his middle name is George, Bradley George Boxberger, which uh, it reminds me of George Bamberger. Maybe he could go by George and um, then everyone will be confused for all the people that remember George Bamberger, <laughs> which is probably like 1% of people that live in Milwaukee. But yes. uh, he was – Boxberger is a former All-Star 2015, led the league with 41 saves as a member of the race. He actually went 4-10 and 10 that year. I had a 3.71 ERA, career 3.47 ERA across about 400 innings pitched. And last year was one of his best, 3.34 ERA in 64 innings. Had 11.6 strikeouts per nine, uh, which is among his career best. His walk rate down at 3.5. And overall was very solid, a very solid member of the Brewers bullpen. He's not going to blow you away with the stuff, but he's got a good changeup. His velo is decent, good command, and is just a, a dependable reliever. He's a guy that I like having in the Brewers bullpen. Definitely was glad that the Brewers brought him back. And kind of one of those guys where, like, you know, like the best re- middle relievers, like, you, you kind of forget about them. Like, you don't really – they don't really get the credit that they necessarily deserve as, as middle relievers. But those are kind of the best ones. And Boxberger is kind of that guy. He's not going to – um, be flashy and blow you away with anything, but just a solid, dependable middle reliever that 
the Brewers have relied on a lot over the past year plus. Yeah, I think that sums it up very well. Like you said, not 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 going to be flashy. He's he's not going to look like Josh Hader or even Devin Williams when he's on. But he's going to go out and get outs, um, and certainly showed that for the Brewers last year. And so far, is off to a, a very good start, which is good to hear. Um, I was a little bit concerned when the Brewers re-signed him on whether or not he was going to be able to repeat the success that he had last year, and certainly seems like he has been able to, um, which is a good thing. So uh, I, I have to bring this back to the mascots because I, I had to check while you were speaking. I, I can't find any other current MLB mascot who is a person besides the Swinging Friar. So I think you did have it named that uh, the yes. only two, I guess, person mascots. Looking at a ranking online, and they don't have Burning Brewer not even in the top 10, uh, the disrespect. They've got them all the way down to number 18. But uh, then again, so, like I feel like it's so hard to differentiate mascots. There's only a couple that actually do something. And I, I don't know that I that is But Bernie's one of them. He slides. He, but what does he do? <laughs> he slides. That's, a, that's, that's probably true. a lot more. Okay, that's you're telling true. me that Billy that's the Marlin true. is a better mascot? I didn't say Billy the Marlin <laughs> is. What's the name of that raised one? Like DJ Kitty or something? Uh, Raymond. Oh, Raymond. Yeah, I feel the, like they like, have a cat like, also. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was going to try to describe like what he, what the animal he is. I, don't, I have no idea what, what, uh, what kind of animal he is. But uh, oh, I see yeah, that. pretty much, pretty much all of the all mascots are animals, and then we've got the the two uh, obscure human, I guess, human like, like mascots. Is is Mister Met or like I don't even know? Do they still have Homer? No, they got rid of Homer the Brave. Like those ones that have baseball heads, are those people that just got their head replaced? If, if not, what are they? I don't know, Mister Met. These are uh, these are deep philosophical questions that will take some time to to un- uncover. Uh, we'll have to see if we can do that across uh, several probably months until we talk mascots again on the podcast. But this has certainly been certainly been a thrilling a thrilling <laughs> podcast episode. Very much derailed by our fun facts about the Brewers. So let's close out here, circling back on our trivia question. 33 players now after Miguel Cabrera joined the club have amassed 3,000 hits. How many of those 3,000 hits were home runs? David, what do you got? I'm going to go with three. I'll, I'll give you a I'll, – I'll make it a little harder. Can you name the the, the players that's, that have done it? I believe it's Wade Boggs, Derek Jeter, and A-Rod. That is spot on correct. Yes. Number three is the correct answer, and those are the three players, Wade Boggs, doing it first, um, and then uh, Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter as well, also joining in that 3,000-hit club um, doing so. Or actually, I put that out of order. Jeter uh, reached that before A-Rod. Man, 2011, since Derek Jeter hit 3,000 home runs. Feels like just a couple years ago, he was still in the league. But uh, again, Miguel Cabrera reaching that mark, which is really an astounding mark, um, something that so few players across all of baseball, like I said, 33 players, out of the thousands um, that have been uh, across professional baseball. So congrats to Miguel Cabrera, who's really been one of the best players of his generation. I think he's sometimes overlooked in Detroit uh, because they haven't made too much noise in the playoffs over the last 10 or so years, but um, certainly one of the best of his era, uh, Miguel Cabrera. So again, Brewers capping off a good week, a series sweep against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, split one and one with the Phillies game three coming up as we're recording here tonight. And they'll come into next week with a game against the Giants uh, and then Pittsburgh again and back 
against their rivals, the Chicago Cubs. So hopefully able to continue to build on the success that they have. Um, they're potentially able to uh, be tied with the Cardinals at the end of this week with a win tonight, uh, which would be great to get on top of the National League Central and hopefully can just continue to grow from there. So, David, as we go, any final thoughts or things that you're looking for, looking forward to um, the next week for the Brewers? Well, I know that by the time we release this episode, it will be passed, but I am excited to see the Brewers finally on Sunday Night Baseball. It seems like every Sunday Night Baseball is like to showcase the other team when they're on. And I feel like this is kind of now it's, I mean, the Phillies aren't a bad team, uh, but it's, it's a good matchup and uh, you've got Brewers Phillies. I feel like the Brewers are very much a part of the, the Sunday night baseball, if not even maybe more than the Phillies. And for that, I'm kind of excited. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think they are. It is probably more for the Brewers than the Phillies, which is exciting. So again, Brewers just a half game behind the Cardinals currently in the standings. Uh, on a side note, Bucks, of course, up 3-1 against Chicago in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, we'll see how they're able to do, and we'll be bringing on a guest potentially in the future as well as the Brewers continue to – our Bucks continue to progress into the playoffs, um, hoping to search for that back-to-back -back title. So with that, as always, this is Peter and David Go signing off. As always, Go Brewers! Thank you for listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review our show on whichever platform you're listening on. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting us through the link down below. See you next time.